What is up? And welcome in to another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. My name is Jeremy Rushing, and as always, my partner in crime, my co-host, now located in the Twin Cities, as opposed to up north in Duluth, Mr. Dominic Jose Bazonio. Dom, how's the move? How's the unpacking? How are you feeling today? I'm, fe- I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, the, the unpacking and moving process went as well as it probably can, which means it went like 65% good. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's been good. And, uh, I'm, I'm at that stage where we're kind of building some new, some new furniture and all that kind of stuff, get wow. the place fitted out. But yeah, it's, uh, it's good, good to be down here. I today took advantage of, of not, of living in a place like the Twin Cities. Now I got, uh, some lunch from uh, a Venezuelan restaurant at Eden Prairie called uh, Teke Arepa, which is very good. I suggest going there. Um, I have, by the way, this is a, just so Jeremy doesn't think I'm day drinking. I'm drinking Malta out of a bottle, but this is not alcohol. This is it's not, it's not alcoholic drink. Um, I'm not going to judge Dom. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to judge you that you're not drinking a beer at 1 p.m. on a Wednesday while we're recording or Thursday while we're recording this. So <laughs> that's where the judgment comes from. Moving and you're not drinking. Come on. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's been good. It's been good. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Well, uh, I can attest. I think everyone can attest to the fact that moving is one of the most stressful and, uh, you know, not fun tasks one can do. So I do not envy you, Dominic, but I also appreciate you, uh, you know, stepping away from the Ikea for a second and uh, <laughs> taking some time to talk Minnesota soccer. A lot to get to, some housekeeping to do first. This is episode 92, just eight away from the uh, the threshold, the milestone 100th episode, which we'll do something fun for. Um, we are, of course, presented by SodaSoccer.com, your new home for soccer coverage in the North. A lot of Minnesota Aurora content on there. A lot of Minnesota United content on there right now. A lot of lower league stuff with Minneapolis City and St. Croix and USL League 2, NPSL, UPSL. Basically, all the stuff we talk about here on the podcast, we have articles about up at SodaSoccer.com. So make sure you check that out and consider subscribing to our Patreon and supporting what we're doing. Patreon.com slash soda soccer if you could please subscribe rate and review to the podcast as well if you already have not and also follow us on the socials mainly twitter at soda s-o-c uh it's felt like five years since the last episode of this podcast dom uh we took a week off last week with you moving and me uh you know getting married getting my nuptials here's a ring on my finger very uh very weird. I'm like picking at it and like tapping it on desks <laughs> and stuff. I think my wife is probably going to have the wedding annulled any second now. She's <laughs> doing that. But uh, in any case, uh, as of now, I'm officially married. And uh, big thanks to everybody who helped out with the website last week while, uh, while you know, you and I were focused on some other things. But you managed to actually get some content up last week, Dom, which I very much appreciate considering how hectic your week was as well. So just go check out what we're doing. John Marthaler, Jacob Schneider, Eli Hoff. Uh, Dominic, myself, a lot of great stuff. The uh, new Matthew Johnson, uh, Adam Grunwald, um, just a great new, not say new staff, but we have added on as we have gone here and a great group of guys over at sodasoccer.com. So consider checking us out and supporting us as well. But let's get right into these headlines, Don, because like I said, we have a lot to get to. And normally we kick things off with Minnesota United, but being as today is a pretty historic day, in the world of Minnesota soccer outside of the Minnesota United bubble. 
Um, we are going to kick things off with Minnesota Aurora as they kick off their 2022 campaign tonight at TCO Stadium against the Green Bay Glory. A sellout crowd expected of 5,600 fans there in Egan. Um, and if uh, Minnesota were in the NWSL and this was sort of their average attendance, they would rank fourth among uh, uh, attendance in the NWSL. So that just proves, uh, you know, just just to show um, how much support there is of this club. And this is just an exciting day down. Obviously, we're, we don't have a lot tactically or on the field to break down yet because we haven't watched this team play. But there's been nothing short of, uh, you know, a million and one storylines and narratives to follow as we have led up to this moment, match day one. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you know, in terms of, of the data, we really don't have much, not only because Aurora is a new team, but because this entire league is new. Yep. Uh, so we don't, it's not like a new MLS expansion team. We have really nothing to, to work with on that end. But, uh, but it's very exciting. Obviously, the, the attendance numbers are, are amazing. You noted how they compare to uh, the NWSL. I mean, those numbers, by the way, would also be very good for any pro men's side in the U.S. outside of MLS you know, championship, for example, those numbers, especially uh, when you take out like two or three of the big, big teams, those numbers are really good. Uh, so yeah, really phenomenal to have that much support again for a team that hasn't even played yet. Uh, and in a, in a space that has not been probably explored as much in Minnesota as it should have been by now, uh, meaning that that sort of pre-professional women's soccer bridging over to a professional um, so just exciting and looking forward to seeing how tonight's game goes. Again, we, we really don't know what things are going to look like on the pitch. We don't know how this Aurora roster is going to look playing. We don't know how uh, the Green Bay Glory are going to look playing, playing this season. You know, for all we know, that might be the side that we talk the most about after tonight. We just don't know. But the fact is it's exciting that everybody's coming together to finally get this started. And, uh, and yeah, again, really reassuring to see it, that outpour of support uh, for, for women's sports in Minnesota and, and for the USL uh, W League and, and for Minnesota Aurora. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's kicking off with the Wisconsin-Minnesota rivalry right off the bat. You know, you have Gophers-Badgers, you have Packers-Vikings. Uh, now you have Minnesota Aurora and the Green Bay Glory, which actually our buddy Matthew Johnson at Soda Soccer has a great Minnesota Aurora preview up right now. One of the things that he focuses on in that piece, though, Dom, and I guess I didn't realize this prior, these are the only two independently operated clubs of the 44 teams in the USLW League. Every other team is associated with a men's side like Detroit City or Greenville or North Carolina. Um, but Aurora and the Glory are independently run and operated. That, that's just very, very cool in and of itself. And also you factor in that regional rivalry too. As you mentioned, we we cover both Minnesota and Wisconsin soccer on this podcast. So um, very, um, it's very uh, possible that you know we, we do just as much Green Bay Glory talk as we do Minnesota Aurora, depending on how that season goes. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. And, and it's great to point out, yeah, that, that these two sides are independently formed. You know, when you look at the history of the uh, NWSL and previous iterations of women's soccer in the U S uh, or even in other countries, uh, you, you, you do see that flux in an on and off sort of over time of how many of the teams are attached to a, a pre-existing men's club, how many are independently operated. Um, I think lots of people would, would probably like for, for there to be a, a good contingent that are independently operated. So great to see that 
the the groundwork for that at this this level um, is being laid in, in the upper Midwest. You know, uh, no better place to do it. So, um, yeah, really interested to see how obviously these two teams do against each other. Interesting to see how they do in comparison to the general league, who of course will have a different uh, platform they're operating from being attached to those those teams. So. Yeah, again, I mean, there's so many interesting questions to get answered as as this season goes forward on and off the field. Um, you know, Matthew's uh, doing doing the work for us to make sure that part of that discussion happens on on our website on Soda Soccer, and really, really looking forward to just seeing how everything plays out. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you can't be one of the lucky 5,600 out of TCO Stadium tonight, you can watch the match on CBS News Minnesota, also available on the Pluto TV app. Uh, so if you have like a Roku or uh, some streaming device where you can get streaming apps on there, uh, Pluto might be your your best bet. You can also watch it, though, on CBS News Minnesota online, as you can all of Minnesota Aurora's home matches this season. And again, cannot recommend this enough for your pre-match reading. Matthew Johnson has a great in-depth preview up at SodaSoccer.com. Also, up exclusive for our Patreon subscribers uh, the whole transcript basically from his one-on-one interview with Nicole Lukic, the head coach, Dom, he sent me the Google doc. This thing is 15 <laughs> pages long oh, in a Jesus. Google doc. So <laughs> talk about in depth. You basically learn everything you need to know yeah. about Minnesota Aurora, their head coach, this squad, everything you could possibly know without giving too much away um, is up right now. Patreon.com slash soda soccer. So definitely uh, support what we're doing. Subscribe. If for nothing else, to make it worth Matthew's time to put this thing together, <laughs> because I can only imagine how much time that took him. Um, but let's transition now to something, I guess, I wouldn't say not as exciting, but uh, we transition to Minnesota United. Uh, we will get to the 2-1 to loss to Union Omaha in the U.S. Open Cup in just a minute. But they did play two league matches prior to this since the last time we talked, Dom. Uh, last Wednesday midweek, they got a late goal from Robin Lud to uh, – scrounge out a 1-1 draw at home against the LA Galaxy. Uh, DJ Taylor gets his first assist uh, as a member of Minnesota United. And then they go to FC Dallas, who has not lost, who had not pre- previously lost at home this season um, and come away with a two to, pretty decisive 2-1 to victory on the road. Uh, DJ Taylor getting his first goal in that one. So his first MLS goal and assist, or excuse me, assist and goal respectively in those two matches last week. Um, and also in both matches, to note, left wing, Franco Fragapane, up top, Robin Lud, right wing, Bangi Plungwani. Um, and similar use of Delani and Amaria as substitutes in both of those matches as well, as we mentioned, Robin Lud getting the decisive goals. Uh, so all in all, let's remove the Omaha talk here for just a second and talk about what happened in the league last week with Minnesota United. Um, four points in those two matches against sides like LA and FC Dallas, who are both considered, you know, top tier contenders in the West, a positive week for the loons when they really, really needed one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I even think talking about this, there's a way for it to coexist with what ended up happening against Omaha in the sense that I think the, the, the pieces the loons got the most out of in those two matches weren't, weren't there. Yeah. So in a way, the positives of these matches can coexist with what went wrong uh, in, the, in the other match that we'll talk about later. But uh, yeah, you know, for me, the storyline, and, and we've talked about this before, uh, you, you, you've you talked about him particularly quite a bit, and, and Jacob wrote, um, I don't know how many days it will have been when this comes out, but he had writ- written recently an article about 
Robin Lode's position in the team or and sort of the state of the attack of, of Minnesota United. Um, I think the takeaway from from these two matches is just that the folks that feel like he has to be the core of this attack are are right. Um, he is doing things with the minutes he's being given that no one else is doing. No one else is doing. And when you're a team that's struggling to make the most of your chances, having a player that can get goals just at all, really, is is what you need up front. That's what he is for this team right now. I know that there's a lot of um, confusion or opinion about that because of the nature of you know his contract versus other contracts, his perceived position versus other people's perceived positions. But as you know, uh, Jacob has made this point in various ways. You've made this point in various ways. I guess I have too. Uh, he's the only guy that seems to be able to play this role for Minnesota United right now. Yeah. And he's just made that so painfully clear on the field that uh, any, at least league, well, now, now there's only really league matches to worry about, but any league match, he has to be the one starting up front for me, unless rotation is necessary. Yeah. Um, I truly, there to me, there is no argument for anybody else. There just isn't. I, I do not know how you how you make sense of uh, of anybody else starting up front in a league match, at least for Minnesota United. He's the only one playing the position the way it needs to be played, which is great for him. There's a lot that that says, perhaps, about the roster of this team, the process behind the roster of this team, the the the, the way this roster is being managed, perhaps. Um, but if you're going to take a silver lining out of the like the two weeks or whatever that we were gone of all the different matches that got played, it's that Robin Lode has emerged as the striker for Minnesota United, which is at least comforting in the sense that we can finally say that we feel like there is one. So um, I think you picked the right guy for the golden boot is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully Hopefully uh, it means good things for me and my prospects there, but you're absolutely right. And I think to simplify what you were saying, Dom, it comes down to, he's the only one that can put the freaking ball in that right now. Like really he's the only one that when given the opportunity to score a goal, he takes advantage of it. Um, There's still a lot of that final ball. And when thing, when the attack progresses to an attacking spot, there seems to be a lot missing there. And from a cohesiveness standpoint, but you're right. We found the guy who can bury the chances and it's Robin Lud. Now, how you build that attack around Robin Lud is the next step and the next piece of that puzzle, right? Is right. it Fragapani or Hlongwani or is it both? Is it Abu Danladi? Is you know, what do you what do you do around Robin Lud now? Obviously, Emmanuel Reynoso is gonna be there behind him at the 10. That's hundred percent a lock. But those wing spots, that's the biggest question mark right now. How do you start the match on the wings? How do you end the match on the wings? Um, what do you do from a rotation standpoint late matches if you need a goal? Do you switch to two strikers to bring Adrian Unua and keep Robin Lud there as one of the strikers? Um, what do you do with Luis Amaria? Like there, that begs a lot of questions. And I think one of the things that Jacob's piece mentions, and I think does so pretty eloquently, is that there are, while this is great and we finally have our striker in Robin Lud, there are consequences to that necessity. There are consequences to having your best right winger have to also have to be your striker because that leaves gaps around him that could really hurt you from uh, you know a consistent goal scoring and attacking quality perspective. 
So that'll be what I'm most curious to see how they build around Robin Lud now that you're right. He is solidified as the striker for this team. Um, Luis Samaria started on top last night against Omaha. I guess we can transition into that match now. Really didn't bring anything. Adrian Anu scored, which was nice to see. But after that six-minute goal, it, the the danger in Minnesota United's attack seemed to really just fall off a cliff. There was real no, there wasn't really any um, true, true A-plus chances that you saw after the sixth or seventh minute. Credit to Omaha. Maybe they were able to turn it around and make some adjustments. But if you're Minnesota United, you're a, a tier one team facing a tier three team. As good as USL League One is, as much credit as I'm going to give Omaha and USL League One for the performance in this Open Cup so far, um, you know, you're a tier one team against a tier three team at the end of the day. You have a, a one goal lead in the seventh minute. You have to take advantage of that. You have to sort of put your foot on the throat, so to speak, and, and run away with that match. They did not do that. Two defensive miscues lead to two Omaha goals, and you come away two to one on the on on the wrong side of that scoreline. Um, you could talk about the personnel all day. I really think the right personnel was out there, given the situation that Minnesota United was in. You know, it, it would be their fifth game in nine or ten days at that point, with another game coming up in three or four days. So I think the right personnel was out there. That personnel showed the Ford Madison match that they can be quality. They've shown in, in, in MLS Next Pro that they can be quality. So I think Adrian Heath was right to trust in that squad that he had out there. Out there. You just needed a better performance, I think. And, and I think they, they were capable of putting out a much better performance with that squad. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think there are two – columns of problems with what happened in that match and i think people would be encouraged to combine them but i think they exist separately i think there is a negative conversation to be had about the match day roster or the match day squad i don't think that that directly has much to do to your point with whether or not the people that started played well or should have started or anything like that I think that was a relatively strong 11 um, given the situation. Some of those guys are starters. A fair bit of them were starters. You had both your designated players in the starting 11. Right. <laughs> right. And so. even th there were people, you know, the uh, there were people that started that match that are actually even playing more often than those two guys. Yep. But, but, you know, th there were folks that that were in that 11 that certainly would be considered reserve or second team but there were plenty that weren't that i i think that was a, a reasonably selected 11 and that they underperformed pretty dramatically which is very disappointing i think i've never been more confident in the fact that i that luis Maria just isn't going to work in this team I, I i i don't know how else to say it it just he just does not seem to be able to to do the basics right now. And uh, hold on, hold on, hold, hold, hold on there. Are we officially declaring <laughs> Luis Maria to Minnesota United an oopsie transfer? Are we making the official declaration right now? Yeah, I am. I I, I think yeah, I probably should have done it earlier, to be honest. But but because <laughs> uh, he look, you know, and again, I always try to preface these sorts of comments with like, I'm sure Luis Amaria is a good guy and he wants to do well and all that. But man, when you can't do it against 
a USO Elite One team, it's really hard to then give you a little bit of space of, of credit when you don't do it against an MLS team and say, well, maybe next week. Somebody asked me after Dallas on post loons, is Luis Samaria is, is Saturday or is, is Wednesday Luis Samaria's chance for redemption? I was like, if it's not going to be Wednesday, it's not going to be any time. Like if it's not going to yeah. be against you in Omaha, it's not going to be any time. And we'll know at the end of the day, whether or not he's, right. he's capable and he's the guy. And, and, and we found out, and unfortunately um, he did not have any sort of remotely quality performance. He had one bicycle kick opportunity, basically that um, went about 10 feet over the net. And that's really the only memorable portion of Luis Samaria's quote-unquote contribution last yeah. night. Yeah. And and the thing for me is, at this point, the lack of results from him, and, and this would have been true, by the way, if Minnesota happened to win the game without, but he had played the same, if, so, if other people had scored. It's just gone to the point where I don't even know a situation where I would want him to play anymore. And I know that's rough to say, but if, if we're, you know, if it's a league game and Lloyd's starting up front, and let's say it's the Fragapane Von Wane Wiener scheme, and we decide to switch in a different striker, I would just put in Den Lottie. I mean, yeah. I, I, what is the argument to, to play Amaria anymore? He doesn't. I mean, he, he came on late in the Dallas match when they were up basically to be a hold up striker. Yeah, that's yeah. that's his role. That's Adrian Heath saying, I'm really, we're not looking to you to score goals at this point. We're not looking for you to score goals anymore. This is your role. You're going to come in late in a match if we're up to try to hold the ball up and keep possession right. and wind down the clock. Like that's really what Luis Samaria has been reduced to in his right. role for Minnesota United. And I can't argue with that. Like he's just there has no argument. Produced. Yeah. There is no argument. There's no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough. And the other thing that makes it look worse is, you know, Unu obviously has been in an awkward position in terms of his place in this roster. But on the occasional chance that he has been given serious minutes, he's actually done pretty well at getting goals. Yeah. Uh, albeit, those have usually been against lower division sides or, you know, that sort of thing. But, hey, I mean, Omaha was a lower division side and, and Amaria had his chance. So um, that, that for me, in a strange way, flips the the script a little bit between the two, although I think both are underperforming dramatically, but yeah, it, it, it's rough. Yeah. Uh, to, just to change subjects, to be honest, we could probably just like complain about that for two hours, but uh, <laughs> in terms of the, in terms of the roster, cause that was a point of conversation. Um, you know, uh, uh, Jacob had tweeted a, a quote from quotes from Adrian Heath and Michael Boxel about, the, the, the way the roster looked for the game that uh, picked up a lot of attention about questions about that. Uh, my problem is, again, I don't think the starting 11 needed to be different. I think that was fine. Um, but, to, you know, I, I've seen a couple, I think I saw Andy uh, and Jacob both write about this in various forms or tweets about this in various forms. There was a lot of talk from Adrian Heath and the team in general ahead of this match and after this match about how they had walked into this saying, we got to respect these guys. This is a good team. Don't think about this as a USL League One team. Just think about this like another league game. Like these, this is just another team of really good soccer players. Just think about it like that. You got to show them respect of an equal opponent in a cup competition. 
starting a short bench with basically just a couple backups isn't respect. No. Starting that 11 is respectable. I mean, people do a, that's very normal in a cup game. You you're, if you're the higher division side, you're 11, you got some strong pieces, you got some some younger guys in mixed in, you got some back. That happens. That's very normal. And to be fair, Dom, that probably would have been Minnesota's starting 11, even if they were playing an MLS side. Again, that's it's very their, possible. It's their yes. Fifth of six games where they have gone midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, right? Right. So, right. I mean, even if it was a league game, even if it was open cup game against an MLS opponent, like you have just been playing so freaking right. much that you needed to rotate at some point. So it made sense. But 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 to your point, Tom, to not even really fill the bench is is a little head scratch. Taking a quick water break here to tell you about our good friends over at Stimulus Athletic. And when I say friends, I 100% mean Jason Mora has been supporting 10,000 pitches since its infancy in the summer of 2020. And he's continuing to provide us that support with SodaSoccer.com. And I'm proud to say he's become a good, good friend of mine. Jason used his experience as a pro all over the country, including right here at Minnesota United, to help him launch a company that can provide quality game gear and apparel at affordable prices to clubs and teams at all levels. This is a Minneapolis-based company doing great things for local, nationwide, and even worldwide clubs. Minneapolis City, Joy Athletic, Flora, Dynamo St. Cloud, Tulsa Athletic, the American Outlaws, and even the Anguian National Team all use Stimulus to outfit their club jerseys game gear and apparel they need and stimulus can do the same for you and your club as well it's pretty simple just head to stimulusathletic.com start a conversation with their amazing team and let them know jeremy from soda soccer sent you again that's stimulusathletic.com there's like two conversations there's a conversation of one of whether or not some mls guys that weren't involved should have been involved and that's a conversation that some some of the names on the list it's straightforward why weren't they there there's no official explanation there's no official explanation for why certain guys like like uh, official explanation other than just like we decided they weren't they didn't need to be involved for the the likes of lawrence and and reynoso those types of guys there was no injury assigned to them nothing like that then there's some guys that apparently weren't healthy that's what the team is saying i don't think that that's the end of the conversation because a lot of those guys seemed healthy a couple days ago and i'm curious what happened there and I'm very curious if they're on the involved against NYFC yep. two days from now. That's a conversation. Why weren't first team players that seemingly could have been involved involved? Or not why weren't they involved? That's a conversation. The other conversation is you have an entire uh, Minnesota United two team of people. Why that is absolutely killing it in MLS Next Pro right now. They've gone what six unbeaten at this right. point? Why? Are some of them on the roster and on the starting 11? And then for those last however many spots that could have been taken up for three, four, five, whatever it was, why aren't they just there? Why, why, why didn't you fill the bench with them? If you're not going to play the first team people, why, why at a home game, at a home game when you have a reserve team that we've been hoping they would have for so long, why do you have a short bench? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand how that could even happen. There, there were clearly players available <laughs> to play yeah. or be on the bench. So why didn't they do it? Why, well, I mean, it, it just doesn't – I don't understand how you get to that decision. And I don't know whose fault that is. A lot of people online speculating whose fault that is. I don't know. I really don't. But 
whoever's fault it is. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's the players. Maybe it's everybody. Maybe it's a little bit of everything. It's a horrible mistake. It's a horrible choice, especially when you looked at how the match ended up playing out. Um, To have particularly no first-team players really available on the bench to insert quality into the team late on, and to find that goal for the only real options for finding that goal being some guys that were making like their debuts. That's, I mean, that's just asking for a problem. Yeah. And I know some of them apparently were not able to play. Although again, I'd be curious if they're able to play in two days, but there were also people that there has been no explanation for that were just not there. Yeah. And I don't, I, I just, I don't understand how the team allows that to happen. And I know, I, I know there's been, you know, the, the, some of the debate online, I will say this, this is my, uh, this is my injection of opinion on this. There's been some debate online, like, well, is that the coach's fault? Is that the player's fault? Well, to be clear, the players don't decide whether they're called to a game. Yep. That is literally not how it works. So while it's very possible, speculation, that the players did something to allude to not wanting to be, I don't know. That's possible that that happened. The fact is, excluding people with, with obvious injuries, if you are if you're called or not called is up to the management to the coaching staff that is who's making that decision that's who's deciding to have not enough subs to fill the bench mm-hmm. so I, i'm truly befuddled by that decision it's possible that you fill that bench and they still lose but god is it asking for something bad to happen to do that that's my take Michael Boxall, one of the portions of Michael Boxall's quote that Jacob Schneider and Andy Greeter have both sort of tweeted out is um, he said, quote, I don't think 30 to 40 minutes would have killed anybody uh, when talking about more first teamers being available off the bench. And that's a good point, too. I mean, we talked about just filling the bench just in general, whether it's MNUFC two guys or whether it's first teamers. But I mean, what's the harm in having a Robin Lud and Emmanuel Reynoso available just in case, right? right? They don't have to play. But if you're down 2-1 late in a match and you need a goal to advance in the U.S. Open Cup, in the round of 16, it's not like this is the round of 128 or round of, of 64 or whatever. Right. You know, It's the round of 16. You have a chance to go to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open Cup. Why not have those guys available? And this is not just us as podcasters who have not sniffed an MLS front office speculating about this. One of the players actually alluded right. to that. Right in their post-game quote as well. I thought that was very, very interesting and very telling as to his personal opinion, his uh, educated and earned opinion on the matter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's... I don't even think I would have been thinking about this as much if it weren't for the fact that, that Michael Boxwell had come out and addressed it as something that concerned him as well. Yep. Um, at the end of the day, we don't know things about that team. He does. <laughs> if anyone does, it's him. It's the guy that's been there a long time, who's not not literally the designated captain now, but at times has been a captain and certainly a leader regardless. When that person is asking the same questions as I am while I'm watching the game, that is a huge alarm bell for me. Yeah. That 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 to me is is a red flag beyond all other red flags. Um if anyone should understand a decision made by the team, it should be head coach and team leaders. So the fact that one of them didn't, and by the way, the other designated one wasn't there for reasons I'm not clear about. Uh, The fact that one's not there and one's saying, I don't know what happened there to me is, is really concerning. It's really concerning. And I know that um, 
he won't be playing against NYCFC because of, of card accumulation, but uh, it, it, it creates a whole nother layer to this situation that, that Michael Boxel seems to be aware of it and confused by it. I will need time probably to know what to make of that, but uh, it makes it very clear to me that there is something wrong in terms of what happened in the lead up to that game and decisions that were made, not just from some guy watching it, but that people who know the game, who play the game, who know the organization, they are saying, hey, why would you do that? Why aren't, why aren't our guys here? Uh, yeah, it adds legitimacy to the problem, and, it, and it, it's a little more damning, I think, towards the folks that probably made the decision. And to be fair, players and coaches can disagree on certain decisions and things like that, but it's, it's very interesting that, that it, was, it was kind of out there so publicly in that yeah. post-game press conference that there is obviously some sort of disconnect or disagreement there on at least that particular decision. Right. Um, but um, speaking of Michael Boxall, let's translate now to the, uh, or, tr- or transition, excuse me, to the uh, defense where it was two defensive miscues that led to both Omaha goals. There was a long ball that uh, Kamatani for Omaha was just able to somehow not only uh, field that long ball with his foot, but somehow split, the two Loons defenders who were there and get in alone on, uh, on Eric Dick and score that first goal. And then the second goal was off a, uh, just an absolute miscued header, um, a, a clearance, a header that was supposed to be a clearance off of a cross, but it served as more of a flick on to a, a wide open burrito on the left side of the box. Again, one-on-one with Eric Dick, he, he puts away a, a beautiful, beautiful chested down almost half volley uh to the upper 90 of the goal um really really two two really great taken goals but were there because of defensive miscues um we talk about the attack all day long usually the defense for this team is pretty stout you rotate a little bit on the defense as well you have nabi kevin gucci in there you have o'neill fisher starting on the left side as opposed to his normal right hand side um so not your normal defense and there are some miscues that, that lead to both of those Omaha goals. Yeah, you know, with both goals, um, it's, it's that combination of poor decision-making by defenders and, of course, some very well-hit strikes. Yep. That, that certainly makes it harder to then, uh, for Eric Dick particularly, to, to do anything about that. Uh, with the first goal, I, I, I perhaps thought that there might have been a way for him to get to that ball better, but um, but the both finishes were quite quite good. It makes his job very difficult. But yeah, but in terms of the actual back line, two really really bad moments. Um, that you know, in part are explained by the change up in personnel, the change up in positioning, but it's still below the standard. It's still below the standard of what you would expect. Um, from from including from Michael Boxel himself, uh, just you know, with with the second goal particularly, just essentially leaving a person completely unmarked at the far post, uh, and then yeah, making the uh, very interesting decision to I, I I know it was by accident, but to head the ball directly to him, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of the rougher like you know, you noted that defensively, Minnesota United has actually been quite good this year. It's probably been the most consistent part of the team. It's probably one of the worst defensive performances we've seen this season. Um, the numbers have been worse in other games, but 
uh, in terms of actually what was done to allow goals to be conceded. Uh, it was, was really rough to see, to be honest. Uh, it was not easy to watch. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think, unfortunately, it uh, probably uh, means that uh, Kibaguchi's uh, spot on the team is, is stays where it is, <laughs> where he's yeah. probably not going to be seeing a lot of senior minutes. Because uh, unfortunately, I think he was exposed uh, yep. multiple times. Uh, and and for the rest of the guys who are senior team guys, it's it's probably a reminder of that you got to tr- work harder on every match, even if it's not a league match. Unfortunately, that they don't have another chance to do that this season. But uh, yeah, you know, my my the I think I think the positive out of all the things that were bad about this game is that many of them probably wouldn't trickle over much into league form in the sense that in league games, you would expect the guys that were missing to be there and therefore for a lot of these problems not to take place. Yeah. Whether that be Robin Lode or Reynoso or, or Debasi, those, those sorts of guys will trap. Um, but it's very discouraging to see the second, second I don't know, not even second string because there are a lot of starters, but the sort of second string format um, perform as poorly as it did. I think, you know, it, all credit to Union Omaha, but the fact is any time in a cup competition that a first division team loses to a third division team, the first division team should feel embarrassed. They should feel embarrassed that they lost to those guys. And it's not because the third division side aren't good. They're clearly very talented, but it is because you, you are literally, the system literally proves that you should be the one that wins. And Minnesota United simply did not live up to that standard at all across the entire pitch against Omaha. And it's just, it's really disappointing. It's disappointing, yeah. by the way, because to be perfectly honest, the way this year's going, the Open Cup was the trophy that seemed the most reachable. And now that it's not going to be reachable, that also does very serious damage, I think, to the potential to get any silverware this season, which I think was a, a big hope. Um, yeah, it's, it's just disappointing. Disappointing is, is really the word I just keep coming to. Credit to Andy Grader from the Pioneer Press. He had a little uh, little safe space today on Twitter Spaces for Minnesota United fans to sort of air their their grievances and vent their frustrations after the loss right now. I think it had something close to like 100 people in the space at any given time. Um, and allow them to do so in a way that was, you know, constructive. Um, because a lot of times, you know, I mean, Twitter in general is, is a less than constructive place, especially when we're talking about uh, Minnesota United Twitter when something goes wrong. So, um, you know, Andy was able to address some questions, some frustrations, and, and he even expressed some himself that he was concerned about some of the things happening with the club and how the team was looking and some of the comments that he's been hearing from Adrian Heath uh, and post game and things like that. So um, that was very good. And Andy said he hopes to do some more of those in the future. So if you don't follow Andy Grader of the Pioneer Press, easily the, you know, one of the best guys on the Loons beat to follow. He's really taken the ball and ran with it in terms of being the main guy covering Minnesota United on any media outlet. So make sure you follow him and, uh, you know, get in on that next Twitter spaces because that was really, really good earlier this morning on Thursday. Um, but the question now is, where do we go from here? What do we take from this loss? And what can we apply moving forward, if anything? We've sort of talked about how outside of this match, the team had been on a good run of form over the last week in MLS play when they have all their players available. Um, and so that bodes optimism or it can lead to optimism when you're talking about resuming MLS play on Saturday against NYCFC. But 
when you look at it on paper, this is probably the worst loss in Minnesota United's MLS tenure in MLS history. So it's hard not to, uh, it's very hard, I think, for a lot of fans to feel optimism after that and sort of compartmentalize both the U.S. Open Cup from MLS, right? Um, Where do you stand on this, Dom? How are you looking ahead for Minnesota United? What lens, I guess, are you looking at it through? Uh, you know, there's two, it's, it's, it's two lenses. One, one is, as I mentioned before, the fact that at the end of the day, this Omaha result showed me very little about what I thought about a lot of the first teamers that I think are quite good and have been quite good. So that's the positive lens. The negative lens is I don't, um, and, and it's unclear how much this will play into this season. It certainly could play a, a big role depending on how, uh, uh, rotation becomes necessary or not necessary and, and that sort of thing, injuries. Uh, I just don't quite understand why depth just continues to be so impossible for this team to achieve. Um, depth that performs. Not depth that's good on paper, but depth that actually performs. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, for years that's been, a, last year that was a conversation, at the end of the year was a conversation about this team's depth. And this offseason, so much conversation was about improving depth in at least certain positions. And yet we get not, you know, not even halfway. And already it's, well, we got like one guy that can start up front. And we got like. And he's not even a striker. He's not even a striker. And we uh, got one goalkeeper really good. Rest of the guys on and off. Feels like the midfield only really has two guys you want starting there. Feels like the wings, it's like there's kind of guys you want starting there, but even they are debatable. We'll get right back into the episode in just a minute, but I want to talk to you about our friends over at Pence Homes. If you're on Minnesota United Twitter, you probably know who Nate Pence is. He's a diehard Loon supporter, but he's also a supporter of Minnesota soccer as a whole, just like us here at Soda Soccer. See, Nate and his team are realtors specializing in the St. Paul and Minneapolis area, and he proudly supports various teams and organizations in the Twin Cities soccer community, like Minneapolis City, our friends over at Equal Time Soccer, and now SodaSoccer.com and 10,000 pitches. Not only is Nate ingrained in the local soccer ecosystem here, he's also helped countless people in and around the Metro buy and sell their homes and has made them very happy as a result. But don't take our word for it. Just listen to what Kate W. had to say. She said, quote, Nate was excellent to work with. He's down to earth, approachable, not pushy. We developed a great rapport with Nate and have already recommended him to friends. So just head to pencehomes.com to get the process started or email Nate directly at nate at pencehomes.com. That's P-E-N-T-Z homes.com. Also, make sure you let him know Jeremy from Soda Soccer sent you. Again, that's pencehomes.com, P-E-N-T-Z homes.com. And it's like, well, who starts and who finishes, right? There's that, there's right. that narrative now. It's like, well, Bongi and and uh and Don Lottie looked really good for 30 minutes in the end of the matches. Then you right. tried starting him and it didn't go well at all. So work. it's just, yeah, there's so many more questions I think than answers at this point. And there's part of that where it's like these are good problems to have. You know, talking about Bongi versus Fragapane versus Don Lottie. It's like, okay, all three of these guys have come in and contributed in some way, shape, or form this season. So yeah. they're good but not all of them are right wingers, right wings open. Nico Hansen looked pretty decent last night. Is he in the mix now? Um, so when you're talking about needing consistency, needing chemistry, needing continuity, 
that seems that hasn't been the case so far this season. They've had 13 right. different starting lineups in 14 matches. The one time that they've had their the second go round with a starting 11 was against Dallas. And what do you what do you know? You put on one of your best performances of the season overall. But with this sort of will they won't way won't they who are they in the wings right now? It is so tough to see any chemistry and continuity and consistency moving forward. It just seems that there's going to continue to be mixing and matching. And that is not, that does not enable consistent quality when you just are constantly switching guys around. Yeah. It just doesn't. No, absolutely. And, and uh, unfortunately for me, it just, it's it, it leaves the same question marks floating above the heads of the same people uh, uh, as the last several years, which is just the people that are making the decisions to bring these guys in to play them these ways. Um, I, I, you know, it, it just it, it does feel a little bit like broken record stuff um, for the last several seasons. Uh, it's different faces, but but same words uh, kind of over and over again. And, and that's concerning to me. Uh, yeah, you know, again, it's just there. There were there were depth issues that were and and therefore consistency issues that were meant to be solved uh, this season, and somehow uh, none of them got solved. So yeah. uh, I don't know how you reach that. I don't. I don't know how that. And, and and there's been a couple injuries that make things difficult. Obviously, the Metaners, the Dachshunds, those guys. I I appreciate that. But I mean, to be honest, the area of the pitch I'm even thinking of is the area that those guys aren't even in. It's the it's the front half. Yep. Um, again, I just, I just don't know how you <laughs> spend that much of the off season signing forwards. And then you have the situation that this team has. That's none of them, are, none of them yeah. are even injured. That's not even the problem. <laughs> They're all available. They're all available, but there's such lack of production from the, from various areas that you, you got to carry a guy over from the right to start up front instead of all the strikers you signed yep. or had signed. And then you're just kind of he was naturally a striker, right? He's naturally right. a striker. He had been playing left wing. Now right. he's playing right wing. It's just all this like musical chairs. I will say though, we've 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 talked about this. That up front combo for I think that's the second time that they were together in Dallas was Fragapani on the left, Reynoso at the ten, Hongwani on the right, and Lit up front. You have all those guys available for NYCFC, which is good. Two guys you're missing, though, due to card accumulation, Kervin Ariaga, Michael Boxall, that hurts. But that's also the area of the pitch where we have seen depth pieces step up the most and not necessarily be liabilities in the club. And even on the defensive front, step up and actually provide value to the club. So that is one point of optimism for me is like maybe we have found the combination, but also there are other guys there who – are knocking on the door and if, and and they're close enough where if there's like one faltering, let's say Longwani has a bad game or Fragapani has a bad game, you could make the argument for Adrian Heath to make a, another switch. Right. And I don't know if necessarily another switch is conducive to, uh, to improvement for this team moving forward, but let's talk about the NYCFC game, Dom. So this team comes in white hot, one of the best teams on all of MLS. Um, they, uh, have not lost in their last seven matches in all competitions, five wins in a row in all competitions, only conceding one goal in that span have not lost in league play Dom 
since April 2nd. That shows you how good this team has been. Um, one piece of news for NYCFC doesn't really apply to this game, but last year's golden boot winner, Tati Castellanos, uh, reportedly headed to West Ham on a $60 million transfer when the summer window opens June 10th. Obviously expected to suit up for um, the defending champs until then, including Saturday's match. But, I mean, you look at their front line, Castellanos, last year's golden boot winner, tied for third in goals in MLS right now with seven. Tiago Andrade has tallied four. And then you look at goalkeeper Sean Johnson, uh, leads the league with seven clean sheets in 13 matches. So uh, just a really good NYCFC side. They won the the MLS Cup championship last year, hung the world's smallest banner at Yankee Stadium. Uh, But they are following that up with quite the run of play. Uh, leading into this one. Going to be a very tough one for Minnesota United coming off, as we mentioned, a very tough loss. Yeah, this is going to be a really, really difficult match to, to get a win in. Um, I, I think that up front, they should they should continue with what they've been doing. I think that Fragapane, Lod, Bonwane, Ray underneath is, uh, is, is the way to go. Uh, like you said, there's, there's a total defensive pieces that won't be available. You know, I, I, I guess one would hope that, uh, like, Trap Rosales and then, you know, Debasi, Coleman or, or, or something like that is, is able to work um, as well as possible. Uh, but it's, 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 it's a hell of a game to be missing defensive pieces. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, really from bottom to top, this NYC FC roster is just so strong. Like you said, literally from the goalkeeper, Johnson, just one of the consistently just one of the best in the league. To, to the Castellanos's, to all sorts of other pieces they have between those two guys. Um, they are just such a strong side uh, that, unfortunately, I, I would not expect Minnesota to quite unlock them to the point of winning this game. That being said, when Minnesota have their best on the pitch, they've been getting good results against good teams. So one would hope that they can figure it out. Um, my concern is... Also, in part, though, that, you know, as we've been kind of talking about, is, is just that Minnesota on the bench does not really have anyone to unlock games anymore or at all to begin with uh, because the guys that were doing it before have to start now. <laughs> yeah. So it, that's the tough one. Games like this, you can defend real well but and, and maybe even get an early goal, but you're still probably going to need someone to come in the last 30, 20 minutes to figure things out. And I just don't know who that is from Minnesota. I don't know if Adrian Heath knows who that is from Minnesota. So that that's, that's the area that I'm really concerned about. Uh, I, I wouldn't be, I, I imagine the, the better's favorite here is, is New York city, but uh, I guess we'll just have to hope that the uh, Omaha loss is enough of a shock of the, to the system that, that the loons strap in and, and, and really go for this one. Because uh, certainly getting points off NYCFC would be would be a huge grab. Yeah, it would, and it would continue. You know, a positive, at least positive vibes moving forward for Minnesota United. You're on the outside looking into the playoff picture right now, uh, but you've put it together a couple of good results and getting something against one of the best teams and the hottest teams in MLS would definitely help moving forward. That match Saturday, 7 p.m. kickoff time at Allianz Field. Um, back to MLS play for the Loons. All right, let's talk lower league now, Dom. And we're going to start in USL League 2. Been a rough start for Minneapolis City in multiple leagues, USL League 2 being one of them. Um, They've had basically a home-and-home against Peoria City. 
uh, and uh, they drew two to two on the road in Peoria. Um, it was a last minute goal um, in stoppage time that really uh, that helped Minneapolis City secure that draw. But then you lose one nil at home to that same Peoria City team who now stands atop the USL League Two Deep North Division. So um, two disappointing results. Um, you have not gotten your first win yet in USL League Two play because they obviously lost to Des Moines. Uh, in the opener. So, I mean, we mentioned this would be kind of a learning experience, a learning curve for Minneapolis City in the early going, specifically on the USL League Two front. They've been competitive in all their matches, but they really haven't found a way to go over to the hump and get that first win. Yeah, and, you know, uh, many people with the uh, the second match against Peoria, the one that was in Minneapolis, uh, have, have noted that City had some bad luck in terms of chances getting into the net. Um, there was quite a long stints where the Crows were the ones really creating moments. Didn't quite find Batonetta any of them. Didn't quite have that that late magic, scoring two late goals in the in the uh, away leg, and, and so you drop all three points, which is very you know unfortunate. Uh, you know, part part of this is we, we talked about how minneapolis city we're we're gonna have to really gear up and figure things out to be a team that can challenge des moines and of course the uh the the elephant in the room on that one is that that's what everyone else is doing too so uh peoria clearly ready to be competitive this season grinding out two two good results although i suppose they would have probably preferred to win at home and draw on the road but getting two getting four points from city overall probably a, a positive start for them uh, and yeah, you know, it's tough what Minneapolis City is trying to do here and the teams they're trying to compete with. It, 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 it's a bar that they haven't really had to deal with before. Um, and it's such a high bar. So uh, like, like I've kind of said throughout, I, I think there's going to be a tough season. I, I don't think they're going to get a ton of points. I, I, I think that uh, unfortunately just fighting a war on three fronts and having one of the fronts be as hard as this one is, it's probably going to be really difficult for them to, 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 to find a, a, a divisional title championship fight in this one. Uh, I think they probably would have had to win both these games to really be in that. And, uh, and it didn't, it didn't play out that way. That being said, I don't think it means it's all for nothing. I think that there's a, a, a lot of positives to be taken from being in USL League 2 and the fact that they're having close matches, game players, new experiences. Certainly still plenty of time to, to get several wins and, and have better form overall. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think this is probably a little bit of a wake-up call just in the sense of not, not just that this might be a year where it's like, oh, we'll almost, we'll almost challenge Des Moines. Unfortunately, let's say it's probably going to be more like we're going to almost challenge the people that are challenging Des Moines. Yeah. And and that's okay. That's not a horrible place to be in your first year in the league. Um, yeah. I think they could still be very happy with that. But I think it's probably just a, a little bit of a reality check, not even necessarily for the team, but for the oh, for supporters, for just in general, community around the team, to just know, all right, that's probably the year we're actually going to have. And that's where we're going to have to be expecting. It's going to be a little less fun, but uh, if you stick to it, you know, there's there's in the long term, there's plenty to be gained from it. So yeah, tough results, uh, but but still certainly plenty of season to play for, and and very curious at the very least how uh, City can readjust, restart a little bit uh, against the Saint Croix, against the Canadian sides in their division, uh, and and you know, what they'll make for the rest of the year. 
All right, you can call this our 10K coffee break because it's time to tell you about our friends over at Night Street Soccer and Coffee. Derek and his team at Night Street have been so great to us, and we hope you can support them the way they've done for us over this past year. Night Street is part indoor soccer facility, part coffee shop. You heard me right. You can get a pickup game in and get your espresso fix all in the same place. How cool is that? I have to say, I was lucky enough to sample some of the coffee you can get at Ninth Street. My goodness, it's some great stuff. Derek is one hell of a barista, I'll just say that. Affordable weekly pickup is always available at Ninth Street. You can reserve the field for your team, party, or group outing. And they always have something cool going on at Ninth Street, including Minnesota United watch parties happening periodically for road games throughout the season. So make sure you check them out on IG and Twitter at Ninth. 9th Street MPLS, that's 9th and Street, both spelled out. N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T-M-P-L-S on IG and Twitter. Look them up on Facebook and Google or visit their website, 9thStreetMPLS.com, just like the uh, social handles, N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T-M-P-L-S.com to sign up for pickup, reserve field time, or just learn all about our good friends over at 9th Street Soccer and Coffee. 801 South 9th Street, Minneapolis, or online at ninthstreetmpls.com. Yeah, it was Eli Goldman who got the uh, two goals for Minneapolis City in that 2-2 draw in Peoria. Um, only two goals of the season so far for Minneapolis City in USL League 2 play. Um, next up, they take on fellow Twin City USL 2 side St. Croix, who has been similar to Minneapolis City in that they've been competitive over their first two matches, but they have come away with two losses, a 6-2 loss to Des Moines in which they led into the second half, uh, and then a uh, really, really tough, I believe it was a 2-1 or 1-0 loss to Peoria. Um, I believe it was 1-0. Let me let me go up and check real quick. Uh, apologies for not knowing the scoreline ahead of time. Um, I'm checking out Matthew, or I'm second, checking out uh, Matthew Johnson's recap right now. Um, one nil. Um, it, uh, for St. Croix, it's interesting because this is a, a club that is new just to the adult soccer scene in general, right? This has uh, yeah. been a youth club who has decided to sort of add this new rung to their ladder, so to speak. Um, and talking with their executive director, Nathan Klinecki, um, you know, it's tough to gauge expectations for that. Uh, with Minneapolis City, it's a known brand. It's a you know a brand that's that's really known across all lower league soccer soccer circles nationwide. So there's expectations that come with that, whether they're fair or unfair. That when they enter a league like USL League Two, they're just going to continue the quality that they've shown in the PSL. For Saint Croix, there's so much unknown uh, in terms of this club and how they're going to compete on this level. Um, I think many people were surprised to see them go up two nil early to Des Moines. Um, and Peoria City, as we mentioned, they are atop the USL League Two table, right? Or the not the USL League Two, but the USL League Two Deep North Division table right now. And St. Croix played them very, very tough um, in a loss. So there have been just as Minneapolis City, there have been moments of of positivity, but unlike Minneapolis City, we are as we watch St. Croix, we are just learning more about this team. And it's going to take us, I think, a little bit longer to properly rate them among where they really should rank among this division. Yeah, 
still still a lot to be discovered there. I mean, obviously, you, in this division, you even have the two Canadian sides, Manitoba and Thunder Bay, who basically haven't started playing yet at all. So those are, you know, largely unknown entities for this season in terms of how they'll match up with with the St. Croix, with the Minneapolis City. Um, and, and, you know, both, both teams have not had ideal starts to their seasons, uh, meaning St. Croix and, and Minneapolis City. But uh, I think there's plenty of positives in how things have gone. I think, like you, like you were really alluding to there, I think the, the issue is really just about what lens you're looking at all this through. If the lens you're looking at Minneapolis City's season through is – uh, you know, back to back or three time North champs, you know, this team doesn't lose that sort of thing. Then yeah, how things are going looks really, really rough, but it's probably not the lens you should be looking at this through. Uh, and, and it, it would probably be actually very unfair to look at it through that lens. If you look at it through new league, higher level sharing with, with the, the lead champs from last year and, and a very competitive Peoria. I, I, I don't think this is the end of the world by any means. I think they should actually be pretty happy overall with the fact that everything's very close. Uh, you know, you have that, that home loss against Peoria, which really came down to just not converting chances more than anything else. Yep. Um, no, no blowout losses or anything like that, including against Des Moines. So I, I think there's plenty of positive. It's just a matter of patience. It's a, it's a matter of patience, which is something that can be in short supply in this sport, certainly in, in lower league soccer as well because of how short the seasons are. But uh, I think – I imagine that they are happy with the progress they are making at a broad scale, and I think they should be happy with it. So um, we'll, we'll have to see how they do against some of the other sides that maybe would be expected to be less competitive. Hopefully those, those games would go well for them. But even if they don't, I, I do think that there are uh, positives to take away just from how this season is going overall in terms of development, in terms of exposure, uh, which I think is really what this first year was going to be about anyways. A pretty historic weekend in Minnesota soccer continues on Friday as it's the first matchup between Minneapolis City and St. Croix in USL League 2. Um, that happens at 7 p.m. at Stillwater High School. So go check that out on Friday if you have a if you have some time and are looking for something to do between the Aurora match on Thursday and Minnesota United on Saturday. Moving down to the NPSL, though, um, Wednesday's matches were quite interesting as we had Med City at home get a 3-1 to win over Minneapolis City and then Minnesota Twin Stars doubling up Joy Athletic 2-1. to um, Not every team has played four matches, but as of now, uh, I believe Med City has, uh, has the points lead. In the yep. uh, in the in the table, they are they're on ten points. Duluth only played has only played three matches on nine. And then you have the Twin Stars with that win actually moving themselves up to third on seven points. Uh, Minneapolis City remains at four points in fourth, and then you have uh, Aris, uh, Sioux Falls, and Joy all tied at three. And then Dakota Fusion back there with one point. Um, Aris and Sioux Falls were supposed supposed to play Wednesday night. That match has since been delayed to June. Um, and then on Friday, um, another sort of um, match where two Minneapolis City squads are playing at the same time, which we already mentioned, the aforementioned uh, Minneapolis City-St. Croix match in USL League 2. Well, 6 p.m. on Friday, you have Minneapolis City's NPSL side hosting the Dakota Fusion at Breck High School as well. So um, they've already done this, you know, same time type match 
before earlier in the season. They're doing it again. And we're talking about kind of the, the shorthand in nature that this gives the club. Um, you know, when you have two sides going at the same time, it kind of really thins out your player pool for each one of those teams. Yeah. Look, um, I think that, that this year is going to be as difficult as I said it was going to be. Yeah. That, 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 that's really what it comes down to. Just, I, I think that, uh, they are spreading their resources in such a way that particularly the first year you try it, it's going to be really difficult. Yep. And uh, that Med City loss, or, or rather the Med City win over Minneapolis City, I, I think makes it pretty difficult for them to get back in the title race. Not impossible. I mean, they're still, you know, well over a, a half of the season left. Very possible they figure things out. But usually whoever wins the MPSL North does it by winning at at least Rochester or Duluth or both. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not an option for them anymore. So, uh, and, and they didn't draw either game. So, uh, don't be rough for them. We're going to be tough rather for them to, to get out of that. Uh, but, you know, again, this is what I thought would probably happen, which is that the, it's just a tough situation to do first time. They are not going to be able to allocate full strength to any of the three leads they're playing in because they're going to always have to accommodate for the other two. Uh, it's worked out better in the UPSL as we'll get to, which is probably down to the nature of the level of the UPSL, but uh, in the NPSL and the USL League too, they just haven't been able to quite figure out a way to manage that while still getting uh, considerable amount of points. So um, it, it opens up great avenues for Med City and Duluth. Uh, Med City now on the driver's seat with, a, with the, the game in hand. And uh, for what it's worth, um, Minneapolis City have a pretty good match to try to bounce back uh, from all that with, with the Fusion, who have had a really rough season, uh, rougher than I was expecting, uh, with just one point. And they've, uh, you know, they've looked very beatable. So it's, it's very possible that Minneapolis City win that game and, and have a platform to, to get things back going. Uh, but uh, it, it's very much looking like Duluth FC and, and Med City FC season to, to win. Uh, and uh, it'll be very interesting. Neither of those teams have played each other yet, which is the real point of interest here is what's going to happen when they play. Uh, Duluth, Duluth last year did very well against Med City, uh, home and away, but who knows what happens this year. Every year's different. Uh, and while we're at it, by the way, quick shout out to Lacrosse Eris for uh, their first win last week in uh, two seasons. Uh, they they blasted Joy Athletic 3-0. I did not see that coming at all. And uh, unfortunately, they did not win a game in 2021. They did win, uh, I think they won one game in 2019. And they won a game and got like two draws uh, that year. So uh, the first win in, in a while. <laughs> uh, so, so good for them. Unfortunately, this match against Sioux Falls that they were supposed to play probably would have been really interesting for those two teams. We, we won't get to see that for a while. But uh, yeah, a lot happening in the NPSL North. A lot of interesting results, a lot of surprises, which is what you want, so that's good. But uh, it does look like the power shift in terms of the title is is drifting the way that uh, that it seemed like it was going to drift, uh, which is great news for Rochester and Duluth and, and not so great news for Minneapolis. Yeah, two matches this weekend that are deemed pretty big ones that if you asked me at the beginning of the season, hey, will these be big matches on May 28th? I would tell you probably not, but they are. Uh, Duluth hosting lacrosse on Saturday, as well as Med City hosting the Twin Stars down in Rochester. 
Um, you know, you have one and five in the table there and then two and three in the table there currently. So um, very interesting weekend coming up in the NPSL North as well. On Saturday, you also have Sioux Falls hosting Joy Athletic. Moving down now to the UPSL, this has been one, this might, for my money, the most interesting um, league in the, the summer season so far. Um, you have Dakota Young Stars and Valora really starting to separate themselves from the pack. Young Stars atop the table with 13 points, Valora with 12. Um, you have Minneapolis City um, with a significant amount of games in hand. They're on nine points. Um, Austin Villa on nine points as well. FC Minneapolis, six points. Granite City, six points. Maple Brook and Rochester, four points each. Brooklyn Knights and Turbo, three points each. And then Ebisua, uh, newcomers Ebisua down there with only one point. Um, even you look at teams like FC Minneapolis, Granite City here, who are sort of mid-table, um, they've gotten quite a you know, quite a number of results in this uh in this season already. Uh, but Obviously, it's been Dakota and Flora's, um, you know, league so far as far as where they stand in the current rankings. Then, of course, you have Austin Villa, who are right there tied for third in their debut season. Did not see that coming at all. So, all in all, it just makes for a very intriguing season so far in the UPSL. For my money, probably the most intriguing in uh, Minnesota soccer so far. Yeah, it's definitely up there, and 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 I think the the character of of this division, where you have teams from so many locations, is a great help to that. It really creates an interesting range of of teams uh, challenging up top. And, and yeah, like you said, I mean, it's been uh, very unpredictable, but really fun. I don't necessarily think anyone expected the young stars to start as strong as they have. Started very strong. Um, you know, Minneapolis City's uh, futures, their UPSL side have started very well. They have some games in hand that make it a little harder to measure. Although since the creation of this table, they, they did draw one, one with uh, Valora, which means that those two teams kind of just stay kind of where they are in terms of battling for a top spot. Uh, Valora also certainly a story of the season so far doing extremely well. Um, just not dropping points with, with, with this one rare exception, by the way, that that uh, one one draw with Valora is City's first UPSL goal conceded this season. They have kind of a similar thing going as Duluth in the MPSL right now, where they're scoring quite a bit and not really conceding it at all. Um, and yeah, and then you have your Aston or your Austin Villas, not Aston Villa, your Austin Villas, your FC Minneapolis's uh, who who beat Brooklyn Knights three zero yesterday. Um, you know, maybe a Granite City. Uh, you got some guys that are kind of floating just below that bracket who with a with a, a good month to very well leap higher. So it's yeah. a it's a really entertaining lead right now, certainly in the Midwest West. A lot of teams competing for something, a lot of teams with potential, a lot of talent. And uh and it's great in the sense that it's really hard to tell what it's gonna look like in a month. Uh because you 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 have teams with certain momentum that you can you can project out of, but you have a team like FC Minneapolis that started the the season with a, a a big loss, or actually a tight loss, but a high scoring loss to the Dakota Young Stars. You see that loss, think, okay, well maybe it's going to be a rough year. They've won every game since. They look quite good. So, uh, you know, it, it just looks like it's going to be a really entertaining year. Lots of different teams, lots of different backgrounds, personalities, and uh, really looking forward to seeing how the title race, particularly in the UPSL Midwest West, continues to shape. 
Yeah, those matches on Wednesday, as you mentioned, FC Minneapolis blanking Brooklyn Knights 3-0, Valora and Minneapolis City drawing 1-1. This weekend coming up, you have Brooklyn Knights hosting the Dakota Young Stars, Valora hosting Rochester FC, Minneapolis City hosting FC Minneapolis, the Minneapolis Derby there. That should be a very interesting one. Um, Ebisua trying to climb out of the basement against Austin Villa, battle of the newcomers there. And then Turbo um, with a lot of games in hand. So even though they're at the bottom of the table, they have quite a few uh, games on everybody else in terms of in their back pocket. Um, They host Brooklyn Knights next week as well. So again, a lot of excitement happening in the UPSL Midwest Conference West Division. Of course, we'll keep you all updated at sodasoccer.com and here on the 10,000 Pitches podcast. Moving over to Wisconsin now in Wapassel, uh, you are the Nostradamus here uh, of this one, Dom, as you, uh, Nostradamus, maybe? Maybe we'd uh. add the, the, the there. <laughs> um, not only is the NPSL shaking out, um, just as you predicted, uh, but as is Wapassel, as Hayward United sits atop of the table on goal differential over Union Eau Claire. They are second. Bateau, my preseason pick, with a, uh, I wouldn't say a big loss. I would just say Lobos with a big win over Bateau. Um, their first three points of the season. So Bateau and Lobos there on three points. And then Poskin, Barron, and Spartan all at the bottom on currently on zero points. Um, this weekend, it was Spartan forfeiting 3-0. You never like to see that uh, against Hayward. But Hayward did get a game in. Uh, they played Alpapo United in a friendly in 1-9-2. They're actually going to be playing this weekend as well, hosting a UCL final party there in Eau Claire. Hopefully they don't drink too many beers because they're going to take the pitch and play a friendly after that one. So uh, that'll be kind of cool to see uh, to see that. Um, actually, that's Bateau who's doing that, not Hayward. Sorry, got my got my teams mixed up. Bateau is actually the one hosting that friendly. Uh, but Hayward played a friendly in place of their match against Spartan this weekend. Uh, and then Lobos, as we mentioned, opened the season with a 3-1 to one win over Bateau. Big win there. And then Union top Aaron, 2-1. to one. Story of the season, two stories of the season. It's the two teams at the top of the table. Obviously, Hayward looking to stake their claim as the class of the league. Uh, they sort of entered that top-tier echelon last season, and they are looking to sort of break away from the pack. While it's newcomers, Union Eau Claire right there with them on points, two wins and two matches um, on six points. So just very interesting start to Wapassel with Bateau sitting there in third. Fellow uh, Eau Claire team, Union Eau Claire, ahead of them on six points, level with Hayward. A lot of season to play, but something to keep a close eye on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, just two games in, but uh, this uh, WPSL season really shaping up already to be an interesting one, particularly, like you said, with the fact that that Union Eau Claire has come out clearly competitive, getting some points. Love to see that with the new side. So uh, I think that particularly really – creates a question mark over the table, uh, particularly with, again, with Bateau dropping some points there, Lobo showing they're here to play. Uh, and, and then like, yeah, Hayward. I mean, uh, understandably there's an asterisk here because they got half of those six points so far through a forfeited match, which again, you don't want to see. You don't want that to be what's deciding things. I do think it's fair to say they would have been favorites to win that game if it had been played. Uh, we'll have to see fingers crossed if Spartans can get things back going for the rest of their matches. Uh, But, you know, I I do think Hayward are, are, I think I said this before, I don't think they're the team to beat. I think they're the team to survive. And I think we saw that with their first match against Poskins. Uh, I think that when they do play the other bid teams in Wapaso, the Pateaus, the Logoses, 
the the Barons, the Unions. I do think those are gonna be really interesting matchups. I I think I would uh, go with Hayward on them because from what they have played, they've just been so killer. They've just been so so to the point um, that it feels hard to deny them. And uh, you know, it turns out I might actually know what I'm talking about because I got some things right. <laughs> So uh, take note, maybe. people. No, but uh, yes, but uh, but yeah, you know, a lot of season to play. A lot of season to play. Very possible that a Bateau, a Baron, a Lobos end up getting to the top and things end differently. But yeah, I mean, Hayward are, are are showing to some degree at least right away that they they have what it takes. Clearly, a very strong squad. Very curious to see if if Union can kind of pull a little bit of an upset and be the better of the Eau Claire sides this season. That would be kind of wild considering how strong Bateau have been uh obviously those two teams yet to play so so we'll see what happens there but yeah just great to see some really entertaining storylines developing in, in the league uh, obviously a, a still very developing growing league but bringing a great thing to western wisconsin and uh and yeah just again very very happy to see another entertaining season developing i think the thing for me is that lobos Bateau result does it mean that Lobos is maybe a little bit better and higher quality than we anticipated and the coaches anticipated coming in uh, with the coaches poll or is, has Bateau dropped a level and kind of dropped out of that top tier of the Wapassel? Uh Last year it was Bateau who maybe didn't get the respect at the beginning of the season. They end up winning the whole thing. Is it maybe Lobos turn to kind of get themselves back in the, uh, in the uh, first grouping, so to speak there in the Wapassel. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, wrapping things up, though, Minnesota Aurora, not the only women's soccer in the state kicking off as we kicked off the WPSL uh, season, the Northern Conference kicking off as Joy Athletics Women's Side hosted Sioux Falls City. This is a team who has gotten a lot of buzz and a lot of uh, a lot of well-deserved attention over there in Sioux Falls starting their women's side. Um, and it was the visitors coming into Minnesota coming into the Twin Cities uh, and going back to Sioux Falls with a 2-0 victory to open that Northern Conference 2022 season. Uh, Friday night, second match of the campaign, Mankato United will play against Joy at Bethany Lutheran College. So um, just women's soccer in general, the summer season's kicking off with Aurora and the WPSL. Obviously another Dakota side sort of uh, taking the Northern Conference away from just Minnesota, right? It was the Minnesota Conference forever. Uh, but now you have two teams in the Dakotas um, that are sort of taking uh, taking on that, uh, you know, that Northern non-Minnesotan role. Um, and Sioux Falls City, as we mentioned, coming with a big first win. Two new sides in the WPSL, though, with Joy and Sioux Falls. So a lot to learn still. Obviously, Mankato United um, were the class of the league last year. Um, I'm sure they they hope to continue that this year. I guess we'll learn a lot on Friday night with their match against Joy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, two two things on that on that first note. One for the the Sioux Falls City Joy match. There's a great thread, including videos and interviews from Equal Time Soccer that were there in person. Go check that out. Go a couple of days back in their in their feed, and you'll find it. Uh, great work as always uh, covering the WP or the WPSO. Uh, so, so definitely go check that out. And suddenly, yeah, you know, there's something really interesting happening with uh, with these South Dakotan teams this year. All of them performing very well. I mean, even Sioux Falls Thunder uh, haven't had a blockbuster start, but they're undefeated. Three draws. They've gone points off Med City and Minneapolis City. Uh, you know, 
all three of these sort of major amateur sides out of out of uh, well, actually, they are all out of Sioux Falls, but out of South Dakota um, are, are performing really well. Obviously, the young stars doing very well in the UPSL, and that's really encouraging to see just the development of of, of the sport all around. You know, I, I uh, obviously we're a Minnesota slightly Wisconsin focused platform, but obviously the Dakotas are also our neighbors and they play into the landscape here and uh soccer is a growing sport in those states as well i remember when when duluth fc hosted the dakota fusion in the open cup uh in 2018 the dakota fusion were the first recorded north dakotan club to play in the competition proper right you know there, there's history being made in north and south dakota uh in this sport right now and and that's really encouraging you know sioux falls if sioux falls had beat Aris yesterday They'd have six points. They wouldn't have lost the game. Yep. So, uh, and and maybe that'll end up happening. The game didn't happen, so we don't know what'll happen. But uh, there's, you know, if you if you live in South Dakota or you like South Dakota or you're just curious about the, the sport in this general area, I think you should be very encouraged by what's going on uh, in that state and with teams from that state. There's a lot of really encouraging growth going on, uh, which is great to see. South Dakota unbeaten. And summer amateur yes. soccer so far in 2022. <laughs> we'll see how long they can continue that. Um, Dom, we have talked for what? Is it an hour and 20 minutes now? Hour and 17 minutes? Well, let's take a breather. Let's let all of this weekend soccer action happen and marinate and formulate. You have Minnesota Aurora tonight. Minneapolis City, St. Croix tomorrow. Minnesota United back at it along with all the NPSL North action on Saturday. You have UPSL action on Sunday. Um, just MASL action on Sunday, Wapassal action on Saturday and Sunday. It's just so much. We're doing the best we can to cover it all. And you can check it all out at sodasoccer.com. And if you want to support all the coverage that we are giving you guys, we would greatly appreciate that. You get some bonus content there as well, including right now, if you want a little pregame reading, if it's a couple hours before kickoff and you want something to hold you over, we have a very, very long and in-depth one-on-one interview with our own Matthew Johnson and Minnesota Aurora head coach, Nicole Lukic, that you can check out right now. It's exclusive to our Patreon subscribers and super subs. Just go to patreon.com slash soda soccer. Costs you a little, as little as $5 a month to get that bonus content and support our coverage. Dom, any final words before we get out of here? Oh, just uh, if you're able to go, go catch a, a NPSL, UPSL, uh, USL League 2. Uh, WPSO, uh, USO, W, <laughs> there's too many leagues. Uh, go, catch, go catch a lower league match is what I re- should have just said. There's a lot of really yeah. fun stuff going on really over the state at this point. I mean, you got everyone yeah. from Austin to Duluth at this, you know, and, and, and Moorhead and really everywhere <laughs> or, or close to everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. You got stuff going on. Uh, if you live on the, on the border of Wisconsin, check out lacrosse or check out the WPSL. If you live in the Dakotas, you got stuff to look at too. There, there, there's really a lot of lower league action going on. And it's all interesting, competitive stuff uh, that deserves your attention. So, you know, if you have the time, if you have a little cash to throw around, uh, I really suggest going and, and buying some tickets. That's all I got. Absolutely. Support lower league soccer. Support lower league soccer coverage at sodasoccer.com. Uh, for Dominic Jose Bizonio, my name is Jeremy Rushing. We will catch you next week with another episode of 10,000 Pitches. But if you haven't heard my voice enough, you'll hear it again Saturday night after Minnesota United and NYCFC for another edition of Post Looms. Have a great weekend. Enjoy some soccer in some way, shape, or form. And we'll catch you next week.